And Happy New Year! Welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad you're here. And I'm glad to be able to welcome you to our congregation this morning. I often like to remind all of us, and I say this especially to you if you're a guest or visiting with us for the first time, that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you. And we want you to know that. The Bible said about Jesus that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. And uh, we want you to connect with God and have the life that God has for you today. So I want to encourage you today. It's going to be a great day in the Lord. I have some special people that I want to invite up here. And these people are MMTs. Can you say that with me? MMTs. Come on up if you're on the ministry mapping team. Uh, just make it real quick. Lisa, Dan, uh, there are several here. I think we have a couple that may not be here. But... Uh, we are in a process here as First Baptist Church that actually began last year, an assessment process to look at our church, to pray to God and say, God, what do we need to be doing? Who are we? What's our community like? How can we reach out to our community? And these people, plus uh, I think one or two others, uh, they are on our ministry mapping team. We spent uh, all, seemed like all night Friday night here, and all day Saturday till about 5.30 yesterday working on uh, vision and values and just reading scriptures, praying together and uh, seeking to follow Bill and his guidance as we look toward, towards the future. So I want you to be praying for all of us the next several months. The names are ahead of you. Natalie is not here, but she's also on the team. And I want you to be lifting us up in prayer, especially for First Baptist, that God shows us the path we need to follow in 2006 and beyond. So uh, would you bow with me right now? I want to acknowledge the work we did this weekend and to pray for us. Heavenly Father, this is the day you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you that we can gather here in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I especially thank you for the ministry mapping team, these people who have committed themselves to setting aside special time to study, to pray, to learn, and seek to discern your will for our church. Bless each one. Bless our church. We pray that you might prosper the work of our hands as we seek to follow you. And we will give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're excited at First Baptist. This is uh, Ted and Joanna's first Sunday with us, but not really. They've been worshiping here throughout the new year, but it's Ted's first time of leading us in worship as our new director of worship ministries. And we're very excited, Joanna and Ted, to have you uh, back at First Baptist in some ways. And uh, great, great worship this morning. I again want to welcome you, and I want to ask for your kindness, patience, and grace to me today. Can, how many of you would lift your hand and say, I can be kind for the next 30 minutes? Okay, thank you. I have been struggling with uh, allergies, and my nose is uh, extremely congested, so I will try to speak as clearly as I can, but I don't know quite, le quite what I'm going to sound like today. But uh, I will ask for your grace and, grace and patience to me today uh, as I speak to you. On Friday, I was perusing the L.A. Times, and I came across a picture on the calendar section, I think it was, or California section of the Times, and the picture was a helicopter over a yacht. And the headline was this, Captainless Boat Plows into Catalina. And it went on to talk about how a boat called Heather was aground on Catalina Island. And the Coast Guard, or whoever was supposed to do these things, 
Captain Steve Escado. Great name, isn't it, Steve? Oh. Um, he and his rescuers saw the yacht there grounded. They boarded the yacht thinking they would find a captain who was uh, incapacitated or something. The engine of the yacht was running. Steam was coming out of the yacht. They got on the yacht. They searched the yacht. There was nobody on it. Now, as I read that story, it intrigued me because I thought, uh, how often do we go off uh, like this boat and nobody's really giving any direction to where we're going? Yesterday, actually last night, as I was going through uh, Saturday's paper, there was another headline. It says, Boater's Tale of Survival at Sea has a theme psalm. Has a theme psalm. And what happened was, a gentleman whose name is Craig McCabe, he's 58 years old, he's an attorney at Newport Beach, who else could own a 65-foot yacht? He went out on his yacht, he's been boating all his life, and he said there was something wrong with it, so I was leaving Newport to take it for repairs. And he thought the propeller was tangled up in a fishing line or something, so about a mile and a half off the coast, he was bending over the back of this yacht trying to figure out what was wrong, and an errant wave came up and washed him overboard. No life jacket, nobody else on the boat. He said, there I was in the 58-degree temperature water, had my jacket on, my boots, my jeans, the whole bit. And the boat just kept going in circles. And I thought, well, this is not too bad. Somebody will see this ship and I'll be rescued. After he had swum about for a bit, he said, all of a sudden, the boat just took off straight out to sea. And there he was. He said, I could see the shore. I wasn't so far out that I couldn't see shore, but I knew I could never swim there. And so he spotted a buoy about a half mile away, and he said, I'm going to go for the buoy. The story goes on in quite a bit of detail about how, as he swam towards the buoy, he would go underwater and come up, and he began to get cold, and he said, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. But he started saying the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And he said, as I swam along, all of a sudden, floating by me was a blue balloon. So I grabbed the balloon, I put it under my jacket, and he said, that kept me up for about an hour, and then it went flat. And I started going underwater, I'd come up for breath, going under, he said, I thought I was going to die. And I started saying the psalm again. And pretty soon some driftwood came by. And he said, I grabbed a chunk of driftwood, put it under my jacket, and it wasn't as good as the balloon, but it helped. And he also grabbed some driftwood and used him as a paddle to try and get to the buoy. He said, when I finally got over towards the buoy, there were five sea lions around it, and one of them looked mean and was growling and baring its teeth at me. Now, meanwhile, his yacht, had Heather, had taken off and gone to Catalina Island and run into the island and was aground. Also, what's the boat that takes people, you know, the Catalina Express or something that takes you there and back to Catalina? What's it called? Is it Express? Okay. There was a woman on the express who had left Catalina Island. She was coming back to the mainland. As she was coming back, she looked out and she said, Oh, there goes Craig's yacht, boat. And she saw it go by. When she got home and turned on the TV news, she saw on the news that an abandoned yacht had been found on Catalina Island. And she said, I know whose that is. That's Craig's. And she called Craig's brother, Lenny, and said, Did you see the news? He said, No. She told him what happened. Lenny quickly called some friends, bought a speedboat, and said, I'm going to go look for him, and took off towards Catalina. Guess what he saw clinging to a buoy out at sea? Craig. 
And a man, one of his buddies jumped in the water, fished him out. They took him to the hospital. He had a severely cut face and a broken finger. That's all that's wrong with him. Six hours in 58 degree temperature. That's cold water. Now, I'll read to you later a little more than what Craig said, but forget about Craig for a moment. How do you think the woman feels who saw his boat go by, then saw the news, then called Lenny? I think she feels pretty good this morning. She was a link that perhaps saved his life. How do you think Lenny feels? And his buddies who got in the speedboat and headed out to sea and saw his brother. They feel pretty good this morning because they rescued him out of the icy water, saving his life. Now, this morning, I would like to talk to you about being a link. L-I-N-K. Only I'm going to use a different word, the word bridge. Our staff, for several months now, has been talking about a theme for 2006. What is God saying to us? What is God calling us as a church to do this year, 2006? It is a new year, you know. Happy New Year. Thank you. And I want to present to you this morning God's call to us in this new year, and we're going to word it like this. I like things simple and short, and so it's this. Become a bridge. Would you say that with me? Become a bridge. Let's say it again. Become a bridge. And the idea is that you become a bridge across which others walk to meet Jesus. Pretty simple. And I want to challenge us as a church with that theme this morning. And I want to challenge you individually that you would say to God, God, I'm willing to become a bridge. And really, all I want to do this morning is convince you to get with us in this theme in the new year. Now, we're, we've got to have a theme verse. And so the theme verse is going to come from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. And we'll look at that chapter in more detail some other day. But Paul said of his own ministry, I have become all things, but by, that by all means I might save some. In fact, we've got it on the scripture. Let's read this together. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I want to encourage you to get on board with the theme this year with your staff and board, Become a Bridge. Now, I have five statements I want to make about that today. If you were to say, how do I become a bridge, or what is needed, what do you mean by this? These are the five statements, and I really urge you, even though you may not normally find your uh, follow the outline, in your worship folder is this outline. Would you find that right now? I'd like for you to look at that with me, if you would. And... Be prepared to fill in the blanks. And I'm, ask, I'm going to ask you as well that as I go through these five statements, if you're willing to become a bridge, then please check off each box, or at least each box that you're willing to participate in. And the first box is, very th- is, is this, and I hope everyone would check this box. Pray for God to use you. Are you willing in 2006 to simply say, Lord, use me? That's what I mean. Pray for God to use you. I believe that the future of our church doesn't rest with Steve Hasper, say, thank God. It doesn't rest with your board, say, thank God. Does it rest with J.R.? Oh, thank God. It rests on our ability and willingness to pray and ask God to use us. 
It all starts with prayer. Prayer is the food in our belly. Prayer is the gas in our tank. Prayer is our navigation system that says, turn right on Colorado Boulevard now. Without prayer, we just, well, forget it. So we're going to start with prayer. And my question is, if you're willing to be a bridge for God, will you pray? Pray for God to use you. As you look through Scripture, and we're not going to take a lot of time, you already know this, but as you think about Scripture and people and prayer, I mean, the, the examples are many. King David, what separated him from King Saul? One way to express that, the way Chronicles expresses it, is King David inquired of the Lord, King Saul did not. It was a part of David's regular lifestyle to pray. He asked God about everything. He prayed. Nehemiah, off in a foreign city, working for the king, saw a problem that concerned him. He wanted to be a part of the solution to that problem back in Jerusalem. What was the first thing he did? He prayed. More than half the first chapter of Nehemiah is his prayer. God, would you use me? Would you give me success? What did Jesus do when he faced his final hour, his crowning moment in life? He went to the garden and prayed. And so I ask you this morning, if you will commit with me and with our staff and with our board to pray for the success of First Baptist Church, to regularly, daily, persistently say, God, help us! Because if God doesn't, we're in trouble. And so I want to invite you to pray for the success of our church. I often say these words, Lord, prosper the work of our hands. Help us. And, of course, pray for yourself as you seek to be used by God. So, first of all, the first statement is pray for God to use you. Pray for our church. Pray for one another. Now, the second statement is this. Prepare yourself for God to use you. Prepare yourself for God to use you. The Gospel of Mark is the Gospel that I'm going to be preaching from from now till Easter. I always like to preach in the Gospels, and we settled on the Gospel of Mark. And there's a reading plan that's in your worship folder. I encourage you to latch onto that, and between now and Easter, read with us through the Gospels. And we're particularly going to focus on Mark. Mark is a, a, a favorite Gospel because it's quick, it's short, it's easy, it's fast-paced stories. Anybody can read Mark. And it opens up, I mean, you wonder what Mark is about? The first line is, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What do you think Mark's about? <laughs> you don't have to go to Fuller to figure it out. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ. Boom, Mark just says it right there. Now he introduces John the Baptist and, of course, quotes Isaiah. And he says, John was a forerunner. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. Do you think it's fair to say that John was a bridge over which people crossed to meet Jesus? Wow. What a bridge. What a bridge. He was a bridge over which people crossed to meet Jesus. Now, you need to prepare yourself. Let's put up the scripture about um, John the Baptist here from Mark chapter 1. I think it's verse 9. Well, we're going to back up and find it. If you could find that, Christian. Look in your notes. Who would read it off your notes? Just read loudly. Prepare yourself to be used by God. It's from Luke, actually. Thank you. 
just recap John's life for a minute. You remember John is sort of a miracle baby. He's, he's a PK. His dad was a priest. He's a priest kid. And he grew up as sort of a weird kid. A lot of preacher's kids do. Um, Tim's shaking his head. Sorry, Tim. Uh, as he grew up, there was a special vow that he took. It's called the Nazarite vow. You don't need to worry about it. But uh, John turned out to be sort of a weirdo. If you divided Christianity into the conservative camp and the liberal camp, and I don't like to divide it that way, but where would John be? He's pretty conservative. He didn't drink wine, although everybody in that day drank wine at their meals. John didn't touch any alcoholic beverage. He never got a haircut. He wouldn't touch anything dead, so I guess he didn't go hunting with the kids. John had taken this particular vow. He prepared himself to be the forerunner for the Messiah, and that required preparation. Now, friends, listen to me this morning, and especially if you're under 100. I don't care if you want to be a lawyer or a laborer, you have to prepare yourself. If you want to be a pastor, a professor, a plumber, you have to prepare yourself. If you're going to do anything worthwhile in life, you have to prepare yourself. And it's no exception if you're going to become a bridge over which people cross to find God. How do I prepare myself? Well, three quick words here to get you on the right on the right track. The first word is look to God. Is that what it says? Yeah. What do we mean by that? We've already been through that point number 1. Pray. Ask God's help. Prepare yourself by beginning to be a God-focused person. Look to God. Secondly, what does the second one say? Learn about God. We reminded ourselves in our board and staff meetings this week that one of our values as leaders is to be lifelong learners. Never stop learning. How do we learn about God? Give me some feedback. How do we learn about God? Right here. Read the Bible. Yes. Come to church. Go to Sunday school. Join a small group. Listen to CDs. Uh, read books about the Bible. There are lots of ways to learn about the Word of God and about how to live for God. So the, the second thing is to prepare yourself by learning about God. And then what's this third one? It's live for God. It's live for God. Now, there may be some exceptions in the room. I'm not an exception. Most of you are not exceptions. Most of us have already learned more than we're living. Is that true? My problem is not that I don't need to learn more. I'm going to keep learning, but I don't need to learn more. I need to live more for God. That's my struggle. And I suspect it's yours as well. Would you turn to your neighbor and just wrap this point up by saying to your neighbor, learn to live for God. Now, I want to emphasize this point just briefly before. I, when I say learn to live, the goal is not learning. The goal is learning so I can live for God. And I want to encourage you as you prepare to become a bridge over which others cross to find God, learn how to do that and put it into practice. Learn to live for God. Prepare yourself. One way to prepare yourself that we have here is called Class 101, Class 201. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a personal relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to belong to a local church? And that class will help you learn about God. It's a first step on the road. In February, we'll offer class 201. If you haven't taken it, we want you to. It's the habits of a healthy Christian. What do I do to be constantly growing in Christ? That class will help you. And so I encourage you 
to uh, take all the classes as we offer them throughout the year. So pray for God to use you. Prepare yourself for God to use you. Third, participate when God wants to, to use you. Participate when God wants to use you. Let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Can we put that up? At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Pretty short, isn't it? There you go, the baptism of Jesus. Mark, again, is very concise. Now, I said that if you want to become a bridge for God, participate when God wants to use you. What do I mean by that? If you go over to the Gospel of Matthew, it's a little more detail about this baptism. John and Jesus were cousins. They knew each other. They grew up together. John went off on his ministry much earlier than Jesus. John began preaching the baptism of repentance. And many people, hundreds, maybe thousands, came to John. They were baptized by John and his disciples as a way of being prepared, turning their hearts towards God, so that when Jesus came, John would pass them off to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how much John knew about what was coming through Jesus, but he knew he was to prepare the way. When Jesus showed up to be baptized by John, what do you think John thought about that? Well, you don't have to guess because Matthew tells us. John said to Jesus, whoa, we've got this backwards here. You, Jesus, need to baptize me, John. Now, I highlight that because if you actually become a bridge for God, you're going to get out there where you say, whoa, God, you got the wrong person. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm in over my head. This is too difficult for me. And John, I want to suggest to you, that was right where he was. When Jesus came to be baptized, he thought, well, I shouldn't baptize Jesus. He should baptize me. But that wasn't what God wanted. And John had to say yes to Jesus' instructions. No, John, go ahead and baptize me. And so John was willing to participate with God as God's plan unfolded. And I want to encourage you in that uh, this morning. Be willing to participate because... If you say yes to God, God will use you. I have no doubt about that. If you say yes to God, and you pray and you prepare, you will be used. No doubt. Several months ago, I was talking to Dr. Bill Hoyt. He's our consultant in this ministry mapping strategic planning process. Bill and I were talking about turning a church outward. How do we begin to focus on those not here yet? And he said, Steve, you know, I, I, I met this guy back east, never told me his name. He said he's a pastor. And he said, you know, his church talks about this by saying, why don't we become a bridge for God? And so Bill just shared that with me as we were talking about outreach. And uh, it percolated in my mind. I shared it with the staff. We prayed about that over several weeks, looked for some verses, talked about what would our theme be. And so... In those staff meetings in, uh, I don't know, November maybe, my brother was there. He's a bivocational person. He's helping out in maintenance issues here at our church. He has a church in Palmdale. That started percolating in his head, and I didn't know it, but he prayed uh, some time ago. He said, Lord, I haven't led anybody to Christ since I came back to California. And it was bothering him. And so he was thinking about it. You know, I'm not really being a bridge in some ways. Well, he'd been praying about that. And last Tuesday, he came in. I said, Lars, how was your weekend? That was fantastic. Let me tell you what happened. And he told me several things. He said, on Monday, a couple came to me. They've been referred to me. They're about to get a divorce. Their, their marriage is on the rocks. Never met them before. They don't go to church. So I talked to them for a while. And after I was done counseling with this couple in trouble in their marriage, I said, do you know God? And they said, no, we don't know God. And he led them to Jesus Christ. 
He gave them the plan of salvation. He told them how they could have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. They bowed their heads and prayed there. You think Lars wasn't happy when I talked to him the next day? <laughs> Woo! And he's been talking to them all week. I think they're probably in church this morning. They told all their friends what had happened. You see, just a little phrase that somebody shared with somebody that shared with somebody, and somebody said, Lord, I want to be used. And last week, a couple met Christ, probably a marriage saved. It's wonderful. I, I just said, hallelujah. Wow. What a simple concept. And so my challenge is, as you pray and as you prepare, participate when God gives you those opportunities to share the good news. Now let's go to statement number four, uh, which has to, has to do with this idea of proclaiming the good news. The first P is pray. The second one, prepare, participate, proclaim the good news. I want to go through several verses with you, and I hope you'll have your outline in front of you, because I want you to circle some Circle some words on this outline. They're key words. Now, let's look at this first scripture from uh, the Gospel of Mark. Who would stand up and read that loudly? We should circle. Preaching. Just circle that word. Next scripture. Someone wanted to read. Rachel, did you want to read? All right. Thank you. What are we going to circle here? Tell them. This is the story of a man who a miracle had been performed in his life by Jesus. He wanted to travel with Jesus. He had fallen in love with Jesus. Jesus said, nope, can't go with me. Go home. Tell them what God has done for you. Next verse. Who would read this? What are we circling here? Proclaiming. And then one last scripture. One proclaimed the word or preached the word. Jesus proclaimed or preached the word. When a person had a miracle done in their life, God, Jesus said, go home and tell folks what God has done for you. And then finally, the disciples were sent out to preach the word. Now, most of you are not officially ordained and sent out to be officially preachers. However, I want to suggest to you that you are commanded by Jesus, instructed to go home and tell what God has done for you. And that's what I'm talking about when I say proclaim. Proclaim. Tell what God has done for you. Simply let people know. We gathered in the chapel on January the 1st, New Year's Day, for worship. And Sherry was leading worship. What I remember about that service, the best part of the service for me, was when Sherry was leading worship, we were about to sing the song, uh, What the Lord Has Done in Me, I think is the song. And Sherry said, before we sing this song, I want to let you know it's my anniversary. Three years ago, I accepted Jesus into my life. I still get choked up thinking about that comment from Sherry, just a reminder of a changed life, what God has done. That's what we're talking about. Somebody said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. My friend, it is necessary. It is necessary. Scripture over and over talks about speaking the good news. Telling people what God has done. Don't just live your life. God's going to give you the opportunity to give glory to Him by sharing about this power that's in you, helping you to live your life. Jesus. And so I strongly encourage you to tell... I've got to find my newspaper here from the L.A. Times. This Back to the boater, um, Craig McCabe. He says, it's the 23rd Psalm that delivered me. And then at the end of the article, 
Let me read to you these paragraphs. McCabe said his time in the water settled a debate he's found, he's had with himself that seems like forever. Whether to retire from law and live aboard his boat or continue to be a legal advocate for sexually abused children. It seems a big issue all my life, he said. I needed a wake-up call. McCabe said he's putting his yacht up for sale, although he will continue to boat. Now, all I'm saying here is I've never met this man, never will. But he gave glory to God for rescuing him out of the Pacific Ocean this weekend. And he said, it's changed my life. I now know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. He's giving glory to God. That's what I'm talking about when I say proclaim the good news. Now, I'd like to conclude here now, and we can all go home and feel good. We're going to be a bridge for God. It's going to be a great year. And I do think we can go home and feel good, but there's one more statement that I have to make. We've been looking at John the Baptist in chapter 1. He is the key character as he's introduced there. And uh, let me make this statement in just a moment. I'm a little bit down, and I'm very jealous of Patrick. Where are you, Patrick? There he is. Uh, He went to the auto show twice. I didn't get to go at all. J.R., if we hadn't been on that ministry mapping team, I could have gone. I love going to the auto show. I like looking at those cars and uh, seeing what's coming out. I've read about it in the newspaper. Do you know just down the street from us is a Maserati dealership? Opened up a few years ago. I keep intending to stop in there and uh, went online to look. I can't decide if I want a Maserati Spider or a Maserati Coupe. They're both gorgeous. There's only one reason why I don't have one. You know what it is? I don't want to pay the price. And that's the fifth statement. Fill in the word, pay the price. Are you willing to pay the price to become a bridge for God? That's a big question mark in our church. Because in these coming months and coming years, you're going to be asked to do things that make you uncomfortable. We're not asking to upset you. We're not asking to irritate you. We're not asking to go against the grain. We're asking so that we become a bridge over which people can cross to find Christ. I can't think of anything more important in all the world. But many people today won't pay the price. And there is a price. We're reminded of it every time a new student walks in here from Fuller Seminary in the fall, and they came from this state or that country, and they've traveled and they've sacrificed and they've come to prepare to serve God, and it's cost them something. Now, this morning, I would be remiss if I didn't say there's also a blessing involved. I can't think of anything I'd rather do, but there is a cost involved as well, and we need to face up to the fact if we want to be a bridge for God, we have to pay a price. It will cost you something Of that, I am sure. Let's go back to John. What is the scripture? If you would put up that first one, uh, Kristen. Yeah, John was put in prison. That's not a good line. That's not a place you want to be put. John was put in prison. And over in chapter 8, we get the rest of the story. King Herod didn't like John because John preached against King Herod's immorality. And in a drunken and stupid decision... King Herod made a promise, and when he was called on that promise, well, let me read to you from Mark chapter 8. Then he, King Herod, called the crowd to him along... Whoops, I'm getting ahead of myself. Excuse me. Here we go. So he, King Herod, immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went 
beheaded John in prison and brought back his head on a platter. That's quite a price. John became a great man for God, but it cost him his life. And that story has been told countless times down through the ages, and people have paid the ultimate price. Are you willing to pay a price? Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 to the disciples and the crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. That's about paying a price. And this morning, as I challenge us, I simply don't want to sugarcoat the fact that there is a cost to becoming a bridge over which people cross to meet Jesus. And as I challenge you to receive this theme, this call of God to us for the year, I conclude by asking, are you willing to pay the price? Will you pray? Will you prepare? Will you proclaim the good news? And will you pay the price? This is, Janu- this is the cover of Time magazine, January 9th. Any of you read the article? It's an excerpt from a book about Dr. King. There, it is. there we go. Just before Dr. King's death, he spoke in Memphis on a rainy night. A few years earlier, somebody had tried to kill him by stabbing him. That very flight to Memphis had been delayed because of a bomb scare. He knew people wanted to kill him. The year before, he had been given the Nobel Peace Prize. He was in Memphis against the Council of Many to support the sanitation workers in their strike. On that rainy night, when he wasn't scheduled to speak, but was asked to speak anyhow and did, he said these words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. Not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Now I wish that I had 1% of Dr. King's ability to preach. That next day, as Dr. King was at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, standing on the second floor balcony, he was leaning over the balcony, talking to the gentlemen that were about to take him to the place where he would speak later in the day. And somebody came up and said to him, do you know Ben? And Dr. King said, yes, I know Ben. So he then spoke to Ben and he said these words, Ben, make sure you play, precious Lord, take my hand. In the meeting tonight, make it real pretty. To which Ben Branch, a saxophone player, responded, Okay, Doc, I will. And those are the last words Dr. King spoke. Play, precious Lord, take my hand. Wow. Now, this morning, as we sit here, people have paid all kinds of prices to serve Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you willing to become a bridge across which people will pass to find Christ. And if you are, I'd like you to stand up with me right now. I don't want to pressure you. If you're not ready to stand, just stay seated. But if you'd like to stand, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read a prayer of commitment as we begin this new year together. So if you would say, yes, Steve, by standing, I'm saying I'll be a bridge for God.
then please stand now and let's read this prayer. Lord, I commit to doing all I can, wherever I am, to become a bridge this year. Use me and use our church to help others cross over and meet Jesus. For your glory and in the name of Jesus, amen. It has been wonderful to worship with you today. Hallelujah. As you go forth, remember what I said at the beginning. God loves you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you. And Jesus has become God's bridge to you so that you can bridge back to God. And go forth with the power of Christ. We have refreshments prepared, and we like to challenge everyone. Take about three minutes after we break, not to go to somebody you know, but to go to somebody you don't know and say, Hello, Happy New Year, and wish them well. Grab a cup of coffee and linger a moment if you would. Go forth today in the power and the name of Christ, ready to become a bridge where God will place you in this week. In Jesus' name, amen.